the following process. I'm your host, David Andres. This podcast talks about business and life topics, where we answer a lot of questions, we tell a whole lot of stories, so that all of the viewers can achieve their desired outcomes. On today's episode, I wanted to expand on my business development uh, experience. I know we've talked a lot about sanitation early on. Uh, We might dabble in that a little bit today. But I also want to share a story when I was a business development consultant with Delia Sod Farms in East Northport, New York. Delia Sod Farms was a third generation uh, dirt farmer, basically growing grass. He was doing about 40 million. And I was introduced to him by David Galbraith, uh, who was his general manager at the time. And uh, I, I was hired to do website development, sales compensation, and just how can I grow this sod business from 40 million to say 50 or 60 million? Uh, and that was about a three-year relationship. And in the midst of that relationship, I watched him plant the Yankee Stadium grass, which was an 18-month grow. So I watched from a dirt field, planting the seeds, watching it all grow for 18 months, being mowed. And then when he got ready to harvest it, to take three acres up to Yankee Stadium, in 2008, 2009, I said, Rick, what are you going to do with the rest of this? This is like Yankee side. He said, Dave, come on, who's going to buy that? He goes, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it to other customers. I said, well, we need to save some of that. So that turned into a new idea as I was doing business development consulting that eventually started Stadium Associates and I became a Major League Baseball licensee for all the grass and sports. I got a 32-team license. A year later, I got the NFL license. Um, so I'm sharing this to just broaden your ideas and your concepts. And I hope you keep watching, um, because what we're going to do is continue to talk about life topics and business topics, uh, so that you can achieve your desired outcomes. Um, as I've shared before, our podcast is sponsored by Benegas art. You can go to benegasartmerch.com. David Benegas is a dear friend of mine and a wonderful artist. And he's known for taking photographs and converting it into Benegas art. And if you go check that out, he's done some very famous singers and actors, but he can also do it for you and your family. Um, One of my favorite gifts is for friends of mine to send me a picture of their favorite family photo. And then I have it turned into Benegas art and have it shipped to their house uh, and they hang it on the wall. And it's a very, very memorable thing. So thank you, David, for your sponsorship. And I'm looking forward to my trip to Miami here in the next couple months. As it, as it turns uh, a little bit cooler up north. Of course, Houston here, we're always hot. Um, but uh, thank you for your sponsorship. And I encourage all of you to check out www.benegasartmerch.com. Today's episode is uh, one that, that came about in less than a week. Um, when I told my producer, Skylar, and, and Stephen Tucker, my director, uh, I said, I've only known this guy a week. And uh, that happens to me quite a bit in my business life. Uh, I see things on LinkedIn. I see people like things. I go check them out. And I'm like, man, this guy read. I got to meet this guy because he seems kind of cool. And um, he really is an amazing guy. So we, we exchanged communication on LinkedIn. I sent him a nice note saying um, I was connected to another gentleman that he was connected to. I'd love to ch- chat with you. Here's my cell phone. And Red came back immediately. I think it was Friday or it was Thursday or Friday of last week and said, Dave, I'd love to talk to you. Um, some of the things you're working on, I, I'm curious about. And so on last Saturday, we, we had a call. Um, it was a great first call. And uh, I'm really pleased to introduce uh, Derek DeVette, otherwise known as Red. 
and he owns the company in Red We Trust. And we're going to learn about that today. Welcome, Derek. Hey, thanks so much. Good to be here. Yeah, good. Good, good to have you. And uh, you're in Southern California. Um, yeah. Trying not to choke on all the smoke, I guess, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's Hickory like uh, Farms out here right now, if that's yeah. what happens. You need a little rain and you need the winds to shift and then uh, things will get back maybe a little bit normal. But uh, I'm headed up to Washington next week, uh, Seattle. And um, uh, so we'll see what's going on up there. I mean, Oregon and Washington are really being devastated by the fires. And uh, uh, those of us in Houston who deal with hurricanes and everything else, we're thinking about you guys. But um, yeah, so Red is in the PR event space. And um, to do a little introduction, I'm going to have Skylar, my producer, cue up about a minute and 38 second video uh, for you all to watch, which will really give you a sense of who Red is. And then we're going to get into a few topics. So that was quite a great little video. I watched that uh, over the weekend. And when I saw that, I'm like, man, this is my kind of guy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I have a long history in events. Um, and, and Red, w w why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the three things in the article? And if you go to his website and, and Red We Trust and just look under media, there's a great article that that video link is in. But just tell us um, a little bit about how you select events based upon the three different principles that somebody shared with you, you know, look out for these and then go for them. Yeah. So just to clarify, so my company does, uh, it's a boutique PR and event production agency. So I handle PR for various celebrity clients or high tech clients. And then I also produce some direct events and either I'm hired to produce or direct the event for somebody else, or I own the event. The one that you just saw in that video is actually an event that I own called the fountain outdoor market. It's in East Hollywood. A couple of thousand people come to that. It's six live acts on stage, about 60 vendors, gourmet food trucks, some local charities, uh, and a lot of really, really fun things. Just to sort of clarify that. But the article you're referencing uh, came out in June, and they asked me, how do I decide whether or not to do an event or not, or give it up, or partake in something? And so the advice that was handed to me was from a friend of mine named Lauren Selman. She's a TEDx speaker. She's the publicity and logistics manager for the Oscars, does the Olympics, like a player. Anyway, she told me you take an event or a gig. There's three reasons, not in any particular order. It's either the money, the connection, or the experience. 
And so long as you're hitting at least two out of three of those, take the gig. If you're hitting two out of three, inevitably it will result in the third later on. And that's been a really good North Star kind of rule for me as far as what do I take on? Um, and for me personally, especially the, the, the experience and the connections, I try never to work for free, but sometimes the experience and the connections are too good to be true. And I, and I will take that gig. And it's interesting because inevitably it always does result in the third later. That's what it was. It's really interesting how, um, you know, we have to run our businesses. We have to make revenue and profits and everything else. But there are times when just being associated with an event or being involved in an event, even covering your costs or whatever, it can really turn into exponential things. I mean, you know, you know, my director, Stephen Tucker, you know, obviously we had our tech rehearsal yesterday and whatever. And the two of you have even hit it off with some of his ideas about live streaming for events and, yeah. and, and videos and stuff like that. And, and, and none of us would have ever expected that, which is why I always say um, you should drink more in bars, right? Like you should just go to a dive bar and have a beer, just go in and sit down and have a beer and just talk to the guy next to you. Cause you never know what's going to happen. I'm yeah. not saying it to go get drunk and be at bars all the time at all, but you should go into a strange place and just have a, have a beer, no light, whatever, and just talk to somebody because what inevitably happens is the universe is vibrating and somebody just appears. Um, yeah. Have you ever had one of those experiences? Absolutely. Um, I genuinely love people, um, uh, perhaps to the bane of my wife, meaning like whenever we're out, I'm always meeting the people and chatting with the person and the grocery person, ask them about their life. Like I genuinely like to discover people. Before I was producing events, I was a professional musician. So I toured, I played for thousands of people and that to me was the greatest thing. And so when I ended that chapter, it was like events were kind of uh, the, the next best uh, emotional high compared to being on stage. Like the fact that I could bring a few thousand people together and I get to design the whole experience and the art and the food and the music like it genuinely bringing humankind together genuinely makes me super happy, which is what's made this year just very difficult. a buzzkill for me personally, not even just financially, just personally, like to, 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 to not have humankind come together. I, I cannot wait to open, but anyway, um, your producer, Steven was just a clearly a like-minded individual. He, he comes from a rich background, um, uh, in, in entertainment and film and, and elsewhere and also likes to bring people together. So we were, uh, commiserating is the wrong word, collaborating. I've been trying to come up with something that's not purely virtual. Nobody really wants to be virtual right now. I don't care what anybody says. Like right. nobody wants to spend three hours watching their favorite festival online. But I, I've been looking for ways to come up with more creative interactions. Like if I can have less people, but have the people that are online interact differently, multiple cameras, different feeds. That's what he and I were sort of. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about that. We, we, we had an event up in Canada where our owner from Amsterdam was not able to travel because of COVID right. and he was going to set up a big monitor and have him there live watching it all. Yeah. And then also being able to do interviews, interacting with people that had questions yeah. And I think you guys talked a little bit about yesterday about doing weddings where, you know, grandpa and grandma in Italy can't travel to Atlanta to be at the wedding, but they could be sitting in a, in a chair watching the wedding and, and doing something. Yeah. It, um, I don't do weddings, but my producing partner does. She does big ones. And so what she and I were chatting about is um, 
the idea of so the events industry, at least here in California, is level, but people are still getting married. No one's going to not get married. There's just less people on their socially distanced, but it means a lot of people can't partake. So we started to kind of come up with these ideas of like, all right, well, if you can only have whatever it is, 30 people at a wedding here uh, and, the, and the whole family lives in Seattle, what if we got everybody together at a bar in Seattle and uh, had a huge screen there and they were socially distanced and we had food and whatever, they had their masks, but they could watch the whole thing, but not just watch the whole thing, like watch the ceremony, but what if we had like, made it almost like the Grammys or like the Oscars where you've got people arriving and welcome. And, you know, the groom or the bride, you have any stories? Well, you know, so great, you know, thanks so much. And you turn back over to somebody else and the camera changes and you feel like you're kind of there yeah. participating, walking around. You could even show a little reel before the whole thing starts to everybody online of like yeah. the couple met and then the ceremony. So in other words, it's not just this generic virtual, everybody's a bit zoomed out, even though it's a great tool, but the idea of like, what haven't we thought of what, what how can we incorporate this interactive idea uh rather than this static virtual so that's what we were discussing and it's yeah. we're looking to do that in the weddings of my partner but i'm looking to do it into my events i just i want it to be great it can't be okay it can't be good it has to be great and so i keep going all right can we do better can we do better yeah uh, so, so let's let, let's talk a little bit about the types of events you do and what are the pain points as an event producer right now that not so much it could include the COVID stuff, but just pre-COVID, like what, what are the things that an event producer is struggles with, you know, like event after event, is there something that repeats itself or um, talk a little bit about a guy that owns the event is putting it together and what, and what you struggle with. So um, the, the challenges are of owning event are um well two things so one uh weather is 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 the biggest up to now would it would have been the biggest barrier meaning is there is the weather good or not good so for california we even though we have better weather than most for my outdoor things you start heading into late october it pretty much comes to a screeching halt if you're going to go outdoors right um because it just gets too darn cold um but the rest of the year is pretty wide open so our our May, June, July, August, and so forth is prime for someone like me. So weather is a, is a factor. Um, funny enough, and, and you never know what's going to happen. Like that that festival that I that you just showed the sizzle reel from the minute sizzle reel. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that was actually the first one that we held. It was jam packed in the morning. I mean, jam packed. The vendors were so happy, and then unexpectedly at one thirty, it was like. Satan called, he wants his weather back. Like it just went well into the upper hundreds and then people, you know, and you, you can't predict that. You, you right. it wasn't on the, that wasn't on the Google app. So, right. you know, uh, so weather is one. The other one, if you own the event is, can I get people to the venue? Um, especially if they don't know where the venue is. So like, I'll give you like a real example, or even if you don't, even if, even if, uh, even if you don't own the event. So I'll give one example of mine, example of somebody else's. So. I was the promoter for the Harley Davidson Love Ride. And uh, the Foo Fighters were the entertainment. And so this is thousands and thousands of people. And it was at a place called Lake Castaic here in California. And so the way that I negotiated that particular deal is I was paid on the ticket sales. And so I was watching it very closely. And even though the Foo's are promoting this thing and they've got a hell of a loyal fan base, the tickets were just not going. I was starting to freak out. 
So I just thought people don't know where Castaic Lake is. They just don't. So I reached out to the food management and I got in touch with their social media person. I said, listen, instead of putting Foo Fighters show at Lake Castaic, put Foo Fighters show uh, LA 15 minutes north of Magic Mountain, which is where Castaic Lake is. And then the tickets went bing, 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 bing. Right. So, so, so the, so, but the advantage of that venue for us was it was easy to get. It's not like there's a lot of gigs in Lake Castaic. So for me as an event producer, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the next Coachella or the next Vegas. And by that, I mean, like, where's a, where is a venue or a location that nobody's really thought of that I can own mm-hmm. that, that nobody's gone there before. So that once I, once I put my in Redby trust flag there, um, it's mine. No one's going to take me out. And I was the first to get there. So the risk of that is that no one's heard of it. Like, like imagine Coachella one or the first thing in Vegas, but once people know about it, you own it. And so that's the advantage. The disadvantage is getting people to somewhere that they don't associate with um, entertainment. Hollywood, greater LA is just saturated. So I've kind of chosen 30, 35 minutes out intentionally for the events that I own with the exception of that street market. Um, Like right now in that article, I talk about one which is now canceled, but (laughs) there is a school in the valley in the equestrian center of the valley here, which is like over the hill from Hollywood. If you just went over the the other side of the Hollywood sign Mm -hmm. and it's great campus uh, called the Delphi Academy of Los Angeles. I got a huge soccer field. It's fenced in. So basically I have a 35, 50 foot movie screen. We're going to show Greece, outdoor movies, um, beautiful sound system, gourmet food trucks. Uh, I work with the biggest vintage hot rod club in California. So I was going to have them bring all of their cars for a big 1950s tailgate party. Right. Um, So this is a venue that no one's ever gone to. Uh, So unfortunately that got at least postponed because of the, all the, all the nonsense right now, but like that's in an area that nobody's heard of. So that's a genuine, even when it was on, it was a concern for me in that I'm going to have to get, people are going to go, you know, they're going to go where, you know, the couple or the family or they where. So I have to kind of uh, really, really, really uh, get creative in the promotion to give people an incentive to go there. Um, so, so weather and location, and then probably the third one, which is a newer thing is uh, everybody's online and and we're all just pummeled. We're saturated with spam and emails and ads. So yet that's where you reach people now. When I did Harley Davidson, that event, that was one of the few events that, this is my word, but it was almost promoting it. It was almost purely analog. Hmm. Meaning I was going up and down the coast, meeting with Harley owners group chapters and biker bars and custom build shops and biker festivals. I'm like sorry, I'm sorry I missed that trip because I would have been right there with you. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. You know, I had teams handing out flyers and, and I was giving out bandanas and merch. It was very analog, old school promotion. I had, I had radio ads going on, um, uh, not K-Rock, although I did, uh, KLOS, right? That is like so not the case now. If I produce an event, uh, whether I own it or I'm doing or if I'm promoting it for somebody else, it's like uh, Facebook. It's all, it's the whole bevy of social media and that technology is a moving target. It's a real, so I don't do that myself. I farm that out to, to yeah. kids that are fresh out of college, because believe sure. me, the fact that we're even on Facebook, kids have long since left Facebook. Yeah, so I understand. 
those are kind of my three issues, at least if I own the event. Uh, talk, a little bit of, talk about the distinction between owning the event and it, is that something you want to do more of or being the guy who's like a key player? I, I think you were involved in either the Emmys or the Grammys or the red carpet or something like that. Talk about a little about the distinction between the role you played and how you came out of corporate, you did a lot of corporate stuff. And then yeah. you evolved into being a guy that owns events or is hired as a contractor to do something at a big event. Yeah. So kind of like any industry, um, events, uh, even the movie industry, there's a lot of word of mouth. It's not like there's a necessarily a yellow pages of sanitation or yellow pages of events. Um, if people have had good experiences working with somebody and then you're asking for referral, you're only going to give me somebody who genu who you genuinely trust because you know that your rep is on the line. Yep. So um, uh, what often is the case is somebody can't make an event or they're double booked and they'll go, who do you know? And they'll go, Hey, I know this guy read, but then Rebby trust, you should use him. And so sometimes uh, even though I can do a whole bevy of things, they might need a specific function. So sure. Good example is the Latin Media Awards, which takes place at the same place as the Oscars. Um, something happened to their guy, and I get this call two days out from the event. And basically, they want me to run their entire red carpet, their talent, their VIP room, and backstage calling, which are very diverse hats, just so you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, okay. So that is, that, that is an example where I'm showing up to somebody else's an event. Um, and basically you're paid to be a combination <laughs> executive firefighter and or babysitter. And you're inheriting everything else everyone thought of. You, you're not able to generate it yourself. You just have to take on what's already coming. Yes. But what's interesting about that is you have a lot of Indians and no chiefs um. and you just kind of have to show up and take charge. So in that example, and there are many, many events like that where you get a call last minute to do something where it's like they need a hat worn and you're capable of doing all these hats. <laughs> and you go, sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for that one, I was a little freaked out because normally I am like, honest to God, most of my career, I was, I was a direct report to CEOs. So I like, they, they're really specific. So I like military preparation for, and I really mean military preparation for my event if I'm working for somebody else. So two days out, um, I was making as many calls to people that work on that event. And then I wasn't supposed to show up on site until four. I showed up at, at about noon. I walked the entire site and then I asked to find all the interns. And then I said, which interns worked on this last year? And then I brought all those interns aside. I said, I'm going to be your new boss in four hours. So I want you to tell me what are your functions? What did you do last year? What made it hard for you? What made it really easy? And how can I help you this year? And then that was the most infinite source of great data that I could have gotten. And then when it was time for me to officially show up, I was just sort of man in charge. I had my suit on. You would have thought it was my event. And I, no. and I ran the whole thing and I've had that every year. And I'm not, I'm not telling you that to, to uh, pump me up. It's just how I operate behind the scenes. I'm not going to lie. I was freaking out only because of what I said. I'd never done that event. Um, and also it was the Latin media Awards, So you don't look at me and go, that guy's Hispanic. <laughs> so, uh, so what's interesting about this is, is, and I think this is why we've gotten along as well as we have in a week. Um, and, and I appreciate your, but, but, but you have the ability to have purpose and meaning, but also be open and vulnerable and be dumb and curious. 
Yes. So, so you're not really worried about asking, and, and, and it's all about what you don't know. It's all about the backstory. So when you showed up at noon, you, you, and you should always show up early. Early bird gets the worm, man. Early bird gets the worm everywhere. I used to tell my, my, my sales reps, you know, show up like you belong. Vest, hard hat, pair of boots, clipboard, and, and just walk in like you're supposed to be. They call, that, they call that fake it before you make it. It's a cheesy term. Yep. Honestly, I, I abide by it. If I were to reach over here, I even have uh, three, four, I don't want to say fake event credentials, but they're credentials that I make. So that, and it just says executive staff, all access, VIP. Uh, it's got my picture. It says full authorization. These things look really official. And if I'm hired to do somebody else's event, I put it on a lanyard around me. And then I walk up and then anything that I need, I just go like this and I tell them what I need. And they go, yes, sir. I swear to God. No, no. So, so, so you're beginning with the end in mind, which is, which is one of the seven habits of highly effective people. You're acting as if you're already in the position doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yes. You're actually not embellishing or being braggadocious or it's not ego. It's actually playing to the role that you were hired to do with Correct. boundaries and limits. And, and then you described, and by asking those interns from last year, the fact that you asked who was an intern last year that's an intern this year, you were actually engaging them to give you the knowledge and input of what they thought went wrong, what went well. What got screwed up? And I'm sure they all just told you right away. And then Correct. a couple of the ideas you were able to assimilate, quick moving mind, you said, okay, I want you to change all the gates like the, like the way you said that didn't work last year. Go, go ahead and get ready to do that. You know, right. in four hours, the announcement's going to come out. I'll be your boss. But I'm Correct. telling you right now, as soon as that happens, then go do all that. Right? I mean, it's like, yeah. Correct. And to your point, it, it really wasn't as self-important. In fact, no. I hate self-important people. Um, I... I'm not saying I don't have an ego. I think everybody does, but by that, I mean, I'm very self-confident, but I believe everybody's important. And again, I said, I was a direct report to CEOs for most of my career. So working my way up, I learned that real power is in the gatekeepers to all these CEOs and the people who are seemingly unimportant. They're the ones that do all the work. If you treat them like crap, you're dead. You are so dead. Them like the CEO. They have to actually be another CEO of their position. I, you know, I, 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 I taught this in, in many of the businesses and it's really a business development. It's really a good relationship. Everyone is your customer and everyone is the CEO. Yes. Like, and, and they should also think like a CEO. Actually, if you read that article on me and I was almost hesitant to talk about this, but I have a viewpoint that's a bit controversial, but I apply it to my events and I apply it to my clients' events which is I don't really view the sponsor as my boss. I view the attendee as my boss and all of my staff and all the interns that I train, yeah. I say the attendee is your boss. Let's take the, uh, the Latin media awards that I just told you about. Right. Yeah. So all these interns were freaking out and I was just calming them down because they're aware of all the things that are going wrong. And I said, listen, you know, they're going wrong, but the people that are here don't know that they're going right. wrong. They're all having a great time. Right. So that's your boss. So long as they're all the people here are happy and their smiles. Right. You see something you could you go help that person. Like, you know, I said, it doesn't matter that I'm the executive today. If I see that, like, while the celebrities and their publicists are waiting for the press line, it's it's super hot out. I will run back into catering, grab a thing of water, set up a thing of ice pitchers and say, everybody, please have some drinks. 
and then the plastic cups. They're the boss. Yeah. The pe- that's who you serve. And I know that sounds silly. No, uh, it doesn't. It, in, it, in the case of Harley, in the case of Harley, I fought them to change the entertainment. I fought them to put things on the event site that were more family oriented and um, it all paid off. And again, I get away with it because I always deliver, but it's only because I deliver, but I do that because um, that is who I'm serving. You do have to serve your sponsor. They're the one paying you. But my point is, is uh, if you serve their attendees and you plan for their attendees, it, it comes up ahead. And that same Latin Media Awards, that is what I taught all those interns. And you talked about, by the way, taking charge. Um, I was handed like 12 or 15 interns who were really, well, it's funny what we think is young now. Like what we say, it's funny how you get somebody who's 21 and we go, kids. I mean, they're really young adults, but they have no work experience. And and I remember they were freaking out. And so I was just saying, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. And they said, you know, well, you're so calm, aren't you worried? I said, well, look. You're an intern, right? And they said, yeah. And I said, okay. And I said, are you getting paid? And they said, no. I said, do any of these people know you? And they said, no. And I said, okay. So like, what's the worst that could happen? You're not going to get fired. Maybe you won't come back next year. Uh, You won't work for this Latin association. You might upset a celebrity. I can fix that. We're not curing cancer, right? No. I said, okay, good. So just look, enjoy this experience. Go have fun. I'm on the walkie in my earpiece. Call me if you have any trouble. It'll go great. And I'm telling you, by the end of the evening, these kids were pros. I offered two of them work. And again, it's not to it's not to pump me up. It's just I was trying to do what it was going to take for me to deliver because I was getting paid to come in with only two days notice. And that's why I was freaking out. Well, I I can see why you named your company what you did in in Red (laughs) We Trust. Yeah, Uh, it's 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 one of the better names of. um, that I've seen. And, and, it, and it's really, I mean, I, I trust you implicitly. I would trust you with whatever you said you could do. And I think that's probably why your clients call you back or why you get referred or whatever. Yeah. Um, w- w- what's interesting about it is I'm a, I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk fan. Um, and, and he talks about macro patience and micro speed. He talks about clouds and dirt. So all those interns had cloud ideas about being an intern at the Latin Music Awards. They told all their friends that they were going to be an intern. Um, And then what they struggled with was the grinding, making the sausage in the dirt, right? And believing in themselves and believing in their hunches and getting recognition from the boss and and whatever. And it sounds like you imparted upon a few of them um, that level of confidence, trust, calmness, context, um, when I did the U S opens, the United States golf's uh, U S open that's being played this week at Wingfoot. Um, not so many fans, which obviously changes a bunch of dynamics, but I was the first vendor to provide the director of operations, a single source for everything he was ordering. He used to get it from three different vendors and I showed up for all the deliveries. I was there at 7 AM on a golf cart Monday through Sunday I was, I was there to make sure he and his staff were happy to do anything like, like, like I've always, I'll do anything. Like, like it it doesn't matter to me what it is. If it's shoveling shit, I'll shovel shit. If it's whatever it is, I'll go do it. Um, So being a practitioner, as much as you're a theorist and a leader and a business owner, you you sound very much to me like a, like a total practitioner. So everything you say you're doing, you've already done, like you've already tried it. which then gives you the confidence to try new things. Sure. Well, okay. There's truth in that. I mean, if you lived enough and you've gotten over some crazy situations, you're a little bit more willingly bold to try something new. Yeah. 
at this age, I embrace those challenges. Maybe in my 20s, admittedly, I would have been a little bit scared sure. if I was a really bold personality, which leads to the other side of your question. So that's kind of like what it's like being hired to do somebody else event. It's, it's rapidly finding out what they need, which sometimes you only find when you land on the site. Sometimes you find out before. When it's your event, um, it's, it's, uh, it's almost more harrowing, uh, depending on the timeline you have to put it together, because uh, take that one that you saw me, um, you saw the video for. So yeah. I have to find tens of thousands of dollars of my own money. That's the difference there. Now, uh, it's easy if you have a sponsor. It's pretty hard to get a sponsor, at least in my experience, on event number one. Once you have proof of concept of your event, you can show it and it looks interesting. But if I go, hey, I want you to give me a 20 grand sponsorship for my street festival number one, they're like, what? Right? So that means I have to front a lot of the money. Um, it means that I have to wear every single hat. And, um, uh, and sometimes I don't know all those hats. But to your point, I'm kind of a sponge for adventure. And so I, I like to learn new hats. So uh, with that street festival, I took on like the amount of per the, the permitting was insane. Like I learned things that I didn't know because it was an aspect of events that I wasn't involved in. So like, for example, I had to get 51% of the entire neighborhood surrounding my fest, my street festival signatures uh, in order to be able to do that. That was just step one. And then I had to leave with the police and parking enforcement and then the fire department and then the fire inspector and then there was a local church and religious institution where they like things really quiet. So I had to go liaise with them and they want family things there, not crazy things, which is fine. It's not like I was putting on a, a no. death crash metal festival, but I'm just saying like there was all these legal rudiment permits and hats and, and they had to be followed by certain times and architectural renderings and, the fire department wanted really unusual things. They call it serpentine. Like my fire barricades yeah. had to look like this little, it was crazy. And that doesn't just even include managing the 60 vendors. Each one had to pay a deposit contract in writing, verify, coordinate, getting them in, getting them out. That doesn't include like the, just, there are so many details. Um, when you own the event, the risk is so much higher. That being said, um, you pull it off, the profitability is so much greater. But what I really like about it, aside from that, is that when I do these events, they're fun. I take them for the experiences, but like it could be an event you do and you get paid tens of thousands of dollars once. So now you're kind of unemployed. And so what I don't like about being uh a, a hard event person is you're kind of, it's like being an actor. You're on a series, you're not on a series. So I started to do my own events, not just because I wanted to make more revenue, but I wanted to be able to have prediction of my schedule throughout the year to know that my nut was met. Right. So I thought, all right. So in June I could do four of these. And in the winter I could do one of these. And on July 4th, I could do one of these. And I thought, that's plain enough to keep me busy. And then I thought, but I still like doing all this stuff because I learn stuff and it's fun. And again, I love people. Like I love working the Latin media world. So then in between all of my own events, I do other people's events. So like, um, uh, Ann Archer, uh, golden globe winning Oscar nominated actress. So I produce human rights salons for her, um, with a very, very she, she promoting human rights, uh, 
So like I get to do all these really neat things in between all of my own events. And um, that's fun for me. So, so I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, um, we have a few more minutes, but talk about what you're envisioning next. Like what, if you could wave a magic wand and in Reggie Trust could ha- hire, you know, I'm, I don't know how big your staff is, it doesn't really matter, but like you, you could double or triple your size. What does that look like? Like, like how, what are you imagining in the future? So the event that I just told you was uh, called Moon Monkey Theater. It oh. was about 5,000 people. It was a massive outdoor movie screening with 50 foot screen. Oh. On, on July 4th with full laser fireworks oh show. Oh my goodness. Families, gourmet food trucks, uh, a fair on the grounds, uh, as well as activities and a massive tailgating party with 1950s cars. So it's like you're seeing the movie, but it also is a fully immersive experience. Yeah. Yes. Like it's not just going to an outdoor movie. And you, um, can, you can bring the whole family. Dad's going to like the cars. Kids are going to love the other stuff. Correct. And I was creating family packs and I wanted it to be that something, maybe people have experienced elements, but nothing like that. And in the part of town that I was doing it on July 4th, that's never been done. Now, what I was never banking on was like literally July 4th was canceled in in California. I mean, I was, I, my first thought as an event producer was like, well, no one's ever going to cancel July 4th. This is forever. And then this year at my maiden voyage, July 4th is canceled. I'm no. sorry, what? But but that was my next phase, not my only event, but the more immersive, the more art forms that I can, the more I can have music, food, elements, the more uh, entertainment value around an event for people and live. I like to get humans together. That really is what gives me my high. So it was bigger and bigger and bigger, but mine as opposed to others. I and that, it, I it. and I, th- I think you could rinse and repeat that in community after community after community. I mean, I think that that's, that's you why I had that the same package and take it down to San Diego or take it up to San Jose. I mean, I don't know the geography so well, but you could take it 100 miles to the south, 100 miles to the north and do it in the same community. Because I, I also think what's happening and I'm I'm in the event industry on some levels, <clears throat> the passion and the intensity when the doors open back up, yeah. you're going to see stuff happen because number one, the economics of the event producers has been decimated. So therefore it's, it's, it's infusion of lifeblood to have the event, right? That they need to have it to bring their people back. Uh, Ryan Shore is a, is a gentleman that, that you know a little bit better than I do, but he's in Southern California, Shore events. He's prolific on Facebook and on LinkedIn He's really a, a warrior and a mentor and a leader and a thought leader about he, he had to lay off said 150 people in one day. Yeah. And he's the guy that does all the tents and a bunch of event production for, for, for Coachella. And he's, he's pivoted. Yes. Yes. But I, I think that what we're going to see is when we can get more testing, when we can like like EDC Las Vegas in, um, in, in at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, which is an insomniac event. Um, uh, Pasquale Rotella runs Insomniac. He's got Rucker Jansen with him, uh, Senior Vice President of Operations. They were told that they could have the event in October, I think it was, postponed from May, if they could test every ticket holder negative before they left their home and then negative before they entered the event. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me. A double negative means that you don't have it, right? Um, but that logistically is just not possible today. Now, as I shared with you in, in some other conversations, I am indirectly seeking to find that solution 
Um, and it's referred to as the CRISPR test. Everyone should go out and Google the CRISPR test. MIT, University of California, San Francisco, uh, Mammoth Biosciences, Sherlock Biosciences. I mean, I know more about CRISPR tests these days than I ever thought I would know about anything. But I'm also agnostic to what I learned. Right. Like I'm a curious guy that that really enjoyed listening to you describe all the permits. Right. I've known all the permits are there, but you just described in copious like detail what those permits were. And I think that's a lot of what people miss when they say I'm going to go do an event in downtown wherever. They, 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 They have no idea that that's what it is. When I became an MLB licensee, I always joked. No one sent me the playbook. Like if someone had told me. Everything that I was going to go through, you know, I would have made a few adjustments. I would have done this a little differently or whatever. But I, I also dive into the arena um, much like you do, I think. And I think we're going to be friends for quite a while. I mean, I really appreciate you jumping on like this. And this has been a fantastic uh, episode, episode five here. Totally can, I, can I end with an MLB story since that's what you started off with? Yeah, we don't end right away. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I'm sorry. When I was, I thought we were ending. When I was 10, I lived in Florida in the Tampa Bay area. And in Clearwater, Florida was the Phillies uh, summer or spring training camp. Yes. And so after middle school, every single day, I used to go over there and watch all the, uh, all the scrimmage games and get autographs. Yeah. So uh, one day Pete Rose was there, which again, you think back to the seventies, he was like, God, he was God. There really isn't a better, right? I'm waiting. I got my pen. I got my baseball. And um, he's got like a, like a, not a cast, but like a sling on in one arm. And so, so I, and this little, this little pack of other little rats of kids descend upon him. Mr. Rose, Mr. Rose, can we have your autograph? He's like, sorry, kids. I've got a cast on. I'm not no autographs today. All the kids run off. He gets into his Porsche closes the door. I dive through the passenger side of his Porsche um, through the window. And I go, please, Mr. Rose, you sign my ball. He goes, geez, kid. Okay. And so he signs my ball and I have it on a shelf behind Unbelievable. me. Unbelievable. I've assigned Pete Rose. So that, I it, it that is such a great story of persistence. And <laughs> you know, it takes five no's to get to a yes. Um, and, and just the enthusiasm and passion. I, I, I suffer from this all the time. I just believe it can happen. Right. I, I just, and I, and I just keep asking, you know, to the point, sometimes I'm, I'm annoying when I got, when I got, um, I, I went with Rick D'Elia who was selling four home depots, their sod in long Island. Right. So we had four home depots and he wanted to expand. So we created this thing called stadium associates where we were allowed to sell Yankee sod with a trademark with a hologram certificate that when you bought Yankee Sod at Home Depot, you got a, you, it was literally a national licensed product with the game was played with same side, right? Unbelievable. And one of the, one of the hiccups there is, is I did these Yankee Sod banners and I put them in Home Depot. And the thing I never expected was they would get stolen or never posted because the, the Home Depot managers would take them home and put them in the garage. So I had to buy three or four fresh banners for 84 stores, which I didn't have in the budget and I couldn't charge anyone for it. It was a marketing expense. Right. But that actually was a major financial hit that I had to pay for anyway. So, um, we go up to this meeting up in Braintree, Massachusetts. We drive from Long Island up to Massachusetts and we go to meet with the, with a live plant buyer. Right. And he's talking about the four stores and how he'd like to expand it. Maybe six stores or 10 stores. And they're talking about it and they're talking about the sod and the, 
And and he's like, well, who, who's this guy? It's like, oh, he, he's a new partner of ours. At the end, he'll 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 bring, bring something up. Um, so like ten minutes left in the meeting. It's on a Friday night. He's getting ready to go home and have dinner with the family, right? So I'm like, yeah, um, Dave Andres, I, I just partnered with these two guys. We have a new company called Stadium Associates, and we would like to know if you would like to be the first group of Home Depots to sell licensed sod in your Home Depots of Met sod and Yankee sod. He goes, what did you say? I said, yeah, we, we're, I'm the national licensee. We're the national licensee. Rick's my partner. And, and so I just, I just put it right out there. And he goes, Bob, Joe, get down here. Like he's yelling down the hall. Of course, man. Guys, he goes, say it one more time. I'm like, um, nice to meet you, Bob. Nice to meet you, Joe. Uh, <laughs> I said, we have the opportunity, if you guys would like it, and it's okay if you don't, right? You know, to, to be able to sell Yankee sod and Met sod in your Home Depots in New York. He goes, Susie, get him a skew. Get him a skew right now. He goes, here's your first skew. He goes, done. He goes, done. We'll do it. He goes, Rick, how much is it? I said, oh, don't worry about it. The, the price is not, you know, whatever. We'll do it. He goes, it's done. So then he says, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go to Fred Brown down in Atlanta, who does the grass seed side of it for Yankees grass seed in a bag, which shows the stadium, the grass. It's got that groundskeeper, Danny Cunningham signature, all that sort of stuff. Three blends of bluegrass, whatever. And so I'm like, OK, well, he goes, listen, Susie, get him, get an email out to, to, to Fred. Tell him I just gave him a skew for for the live plants, you know, for the facade and ask him to get him a skew for the grass seed. We, we, we got to get this thing going. This is November, late November. Uh, of 2008, right? And my first meeting was November 5th, 2008 um, with the New York uh, Yankees took me into Major League Baseball licensing. And in 45 minutes, I walked out with a 32 team license when we asked for one team, the Yankees. Anyway, so by spring, oh no. So, so I, I call this guy, Fred. I sent him all the literature. I said, I need the SKU to put on the bag. We're getting ready to print the bags. I got to print the bags, fill the bag seat, get it shipped down here. We're getting ready to launch before opening day. So finally, Fred says, you got to come down and see me. So I'm like, okay, uh, what I got to come see you for? So anyway, I flew to Atlanta. I went into the, into the Home Depot front office. We went into a side conference room and they're very drab. You know, there's, there's nothing fancy going on. And Fred's sitting there giving me the SKU. And he goes, Dave, let me ask you a question. He goes, do you have any idea how long it takes to get a SKU at Home Depot? I said, Fred, I have no idea. He goes, 12 to 18 months and then another six months to activate it. He goes, this is your second one in six weeks. I said, Fred, what took you so long? I said, why did it take six weeks? Anyway, so in my, in my passion, my vision, my enthusiasm as a business development guy, I see things before they exist, like totally. And I'm like checking. It's like Norm Abrams making the new Yankee workshop. You got to measure three times before you cut once, right? And I think, I think it sounds like you're the same kind of guy who enjoys that pressure of the CEO, enjoys thinking about all the things you missed, enjoys going into a bunch of interns and saying, guys, what, what can we improve here? I've only been around for two minutes. I'm going to be your boss in four hours. But you have tremendous value. Like, what is it, right? Um, and so I, I, I immediately identified with you, Red, and I appreciate this early friendship. Um, I appreciate you coming on my episode five podcast. I just asked you on Sunday. You're like, yeah, send me the outline. Let's see what it is. And we did our tech rehearsal on Tuesday. And, and you got along with Steven and Skylar. And, and, and so, so always, my friends, take a left turn. Stop into a bar you've never been to. Have a conversation with a stranger. Go with your gut. 
because you may discover more of yourself as you as you experience another individual who is seeking to follow their process to give outcomes to their viewers and customers in a way that resonates and you build connections, relationships, and friendships. And that to me is the value of our friendship, our connection, this podcast. And I want to encourage all my viewers to make sure that you commission with David Venegas uh, at, at David com. Have him do a painting. Um, I'm probably going to thank Red, you know, get a picture of him and his wife, maybe the cat and a dog or something. And I'm going to have that painting made red and we're going to send it. We're going to send it to you in L.A. You just have to tell me how big the canvas needs to be. Right. Like you can do a big one. You can do a little one. But um, I, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Do you have anything you want to say as we close out here? Uh, you know what? It, what's always odd about this is you uh, is I don't have the opportunity to interact with your 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 listeners or viewers. So if anybody wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn or through the website, I promise you, if it's a live communication from a human being, I will answer it. And I love to hear from people. Oh. So. Yeah. If somebody was curious or has a question about something, there's no, yeah. there's no self-importance thing happening here. I, I genuinely love people. So feel free no, to I, listen, I, I've been in, I started work February 19th, 1990. I've not worked a day in my life. Not one day have I worked, right? I'm just breathing. I'm just showing up. I'm in shorts and flip-flops in Houston. I'm just breathing. Uh, and next week, folks, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to be in Auburn, Washington at Impact Bioenergy. Um, So I'm going to do my first episode six remotely. Um, I know my producer's a little scared. You know, I got to make sure to do the technical check and everything else, but I'm going to be at Impact Bioenergy interviewing some guys that are doing some really, really innovative stuff about greenhouses and um, anaerobic digesters and taking things off the grid. Um, And uh, hey, Red, you know, I purposely didn't get into it, but you know, that other thing, you know, the thing, you know, <laughs> I don't, but I'm going to pretend I do. Yes. The, 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 the sanitation ideas. We'll, we'll talk sure. about that later, you know? Okay. All right. Good. And, uh, th- thank you, Red. And um, great to have you on. And uh, this will be on Facebook now forever. I know you just reactivated your Facebook a little bit because you're not <laughs> on it. But, uh, we'll get you the link. You can put it up on LinkedIn or whatever. And um, I look forward to visiting Southern California and uh, going out and uh, breaking bread and having a drink with you. I'll definitely host you, but thanks for having me. It was really, really fun. Thank you, Red. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week.